1: From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Have you ever heard of the 39 steps? No, what's that, a pub? Gentlemen, I you can't fight in here, this is
0: the war room. These counts you 11. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. This is Simon Rose. We're going to be talking the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. I was just thinking, James, wouldn't it be lovely to have a pub called Thirty Nine Steps? The only people in there probably would be film buffs, but it'd be great. It it'd would. Be wonderful. I
1: it would. will look into it, Simon.
0: Well, when we retire and become publicans, perhaps that's what we should do.
1: Oh, well, that's decades off.
0: <laughs> so where do we begin today? I mean, we were talking last week about how the weather affects... Uh, cinema attendances and of course we've had some pretty warm days in the UK has that made a difference
1: well we've had record temperatures in the United Kingdom and it has made a huge impact on the box office down from the previous weekend by 51.5 percent
0: wow and yes as we say I mean almost every cinema in the land is air conditioned you think it would be a lovely place to go and keep cool
1: it's changing a nation's mindset. Mm. is going to be difficult. Everybody wants to have barbecues and go swimming and what and have. Not, you. But having not, said that,
0: just just before you say that, and I've just suddenly thought of my local symbol. Though I haven't tried it, they've got this. Now they call it 4D. I can't remember what that is, but you can go and watch films where the seats rock, and mm-hmm. if there's moisture, they spray water at you. And well, hang on a second. If you go and see a very wet film, that would be fantastic.
1: Wouldn't it be great on to a see Waterland in 4D? Yes,
0: yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, I interrupted, James.
1: Or anything with Esther Williams.
0: <laughs> yes, don't, Esther Williams doesn't get reissued very often these days. <laughs> <does it. laughs>
1: anyway, I'm, um, for our listeners who don't know who Esther Williams was... She was a star of The Swimming Pool. Yes,
0: wet she's a star. Yes, she was. I don't really enjoy her films. I I, I like many classic movies, but I've never really enjoyed Esther Williams. Well, I'm say. not
1: sure I've ever seen an Esther Williams. I've seen, obviously, clips.
0: Yeah, Sort of Busby Barkley with water and the bits in between uh, are yeah, uh, very absolutely. dull. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, which was recreated in the heights. There was a swimming pool homage to Esther oh, Williams. Right. Oh,
0: right. That's splendid. That's splendid. Anyway, so, um,
1: so yes... Uh, the heat did make an impact, but I have to point out that the previous weekend, we did have a mighty film open, which was Thor, Love and Thunder, mm-hmm. and there was nothing of that caliber with the box office muscle last weekend. Mm-hmm. In fact, the only new film, not counting a, an Indian movie, which crawled in at number 10, was The Railway Children Return, which didn't even make a million in fact it made 365,000 pounds
0: Wow, lots of adverts and publicity for that mm-hmm.
1: i know so looking at the top 10 the number 1 champion is still four love <laughs> and thunder but down 67% with a total <sighs> i know i know with a total of just under 21 million quid in a couple of weekends at number 2 we've got the risible minions the rise of grew. That was only down 38%. So that's holding really well. But it's now the holidays. And obviously, it knows how to tweak the children's funny bone. Is it the holidays already? Good grief. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Gosh. I know it's hard with grown-up children, Simon, yeah, yeah. to keep track. And that's got a total now of £23.1 million. Pounds. Elvis mm-hmm. down 25%, which is not bad. Considering the heat wave with a total of sixteen point two million. Wonderful mm-hmm. performance by Austin Butler as the king of rock and roll. Number four, we've got Top Gun Maverick. Wow. Only down nineteen percent. They're reckoning that Tom Cruise is going to make over a hundred million dollars from this because of his wow. points on the box office. He doesn't take mm-hmm. much up front. I think he only takes between twelve and fifteen million up front. Suddenly
0: a bit of trivia flashed in my mind. Was James Stewart not the first actor who Got points on a film for Winchester 73? I may be wrong. I think Um, you're right, yes. Just odd, the bits of information. You can never pull these bits of information out of your brain when you're in a pub quiz, of course, but somehow they pop in in the most inopportune moment. But yes, 100 million. Good gracious. And that's despite the fact that, of course, the film studios all maintain they never make any profit.
1: Well, indeed. Well, Top (laughs) Gun Maverick, down 19%, has now got a total of 72.3% wow million in this country it's now the 14th highest grossing film of all time in the uk having just pushed avengers infinity war into 15th place next week it will annihilate disney's beauty and the beast there's a promise for you simon
0: wow wow, wow.
1: and uh, number 5 we have jurassic world dominion down 32% with a total of 32.5 Quid.
0: Can I just thing. it's a long time since we've had five really sort of big films. I mean, Thor, Minions, Elvis, Top Gun, Jurassic Riberate, World, Jurassic, the top yeah. five, all sort of hanging around. It's, um, it's like things have returned to normal.
1: Indeed. And then we drop, sadly, at number six, all the way down to 365,000 for The Railway Children Return. So, well, only three films in the top ten made over a million last weekend, but then it was a very hot weekend, and even Jurassic World Dominion only made 383,000 and a half, to be fair. So, the railway children have returned. Hmm. Now, last week, I mentioned that Jenny Agatha had appeared in three different versions of E. Nesbitt's beloved classic, The Railway Children, and I hate to say this, but I was wrong. The new film. found a fourth? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the new film, more of which are uh, about a okay. non, is actually right. the fourth time that she's lent her name to the franchise. She first appeared as Bobby in the 1968 BBC serial, repeated her role
0: oh, in the 1970
1: that. classic okay. directed by Lionel Jeffries, yes. and then played the children's mother in a 2000 TV movie co-starring Richard Attenborough. Now she moves up a generation, not playing Bobby, nor Bobby's mother, but Bobby's grandmother. And she is a major asset. She just breathes class into the proceedings. Mm. The year is now 1944. And as an eye opening piece of social history, Morgan Matthews film focuses on the evacuation of children from the bomb-blitzed cities of England in the Second World War. I presume that what unfolds in the film must have some semblance of truth. And I found it very shocking indeed. On a packed platform in Salford, children are being bundled onto a train to take them out of harm's way. Jessica Baglow plays the mother of Lily, Patty and Ted, and is brushing them up on their manners before seeing them off to the safety of the Yorkshire countryside. Then once in the sleepy idyll of Oakwood, they are crowded into a village hall where they are due to be temporally adopted by a new family who choose them on their appearance as if rummaging through a jumble sale. But because Lily, Patty, and Ted are a threesome, they are ignored by any prospective family until Bobby, grandmother Bobby, rushes aside the protestations of her daughter Annie, played by Sheridan Smith, and scoops them up with all the potential love in the world. And so we have three more children who end up near a railway siding and a disused rail yard, mm. who sort of match the three siblings in the 1970 version. But let, let me stop there for a moment. When I first, when I saw the first film, I was still at school. And although I have no disagreeable memories of it, I don't think I was particularly knocked out by it. I was more interested in seeing McKenna's Gold, I suspect, than watching yes. Neuma, I, I think and watching Julie Newmar.
0: I think it's an adult idea of a wonderful children's film that somehow grows upon right. yes. grown-ups. It's what they would like children to watch. And, and I like it now, and I, I like you. I think I like it more as an adult mm-hmm. than as a child.
1: Uh, And in some way, many family films are designed more for adults than Mm -hmm. their progeny. And I hate to say this, modern children will probably be largely bored by the recent adaptation of Swallows and Amazons, which some critics, myself included, claimed as a modern masterpiece. There is something about a film set in a bygone era when children... Just enjoy being alive and rolling in the mud without worrying about being obese or catching the latest episode of Stranger Things on Netflix or checking the likes on their mobile phone. These films remind us what an old fashioned childhood was like. And The Railway Children Return is no exception. There is one scene in particular which plays on our emotions in an ambiguous way, and it's extremely well staged. Sheridan Smith is showing her new charges, how to make bread, and the doorbell rings. And her postman, who has Down syndrome, brings her a telegram. And this is during the Second World War. Mm -hmm. Of course, we, the grown-ups, fear the worst whenever anybody receives a telegram during the war. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. the children start showering each other with flour, as we did down on the farm. But of course, flour would have been rationed in 1944. There's a war on. And this profligate use of a staple food would have been tantamount to criminal. So our emotions are being stretched in three different directions. We know what the telegram holds. We know the children will get told off. And yet, for the first time, they're really being happy away from Salford. But is the film any good? I mentioned the postman with Down syndrome because there is an air about the film of attempting a historical balance. At one point, I was almost expecting Jenny Agatha's Bobby to come out of the closet, but she didn't, (laughs) although I wouldn't have minded in the least. As Liddy Patty, and Ted walk through the streets of Oakwood, they are picked on by the local boys and told to go back where they came from. Then in a nod to whistle down the wind, Patty stumbles across a man hiding in the compartment of an empty train and immediately suspects that he is a German spy. As it turns out, he's an American soldier who joined the army to avenge the death of his big brother, only to find out that his real enemy is the racism in the US Army's military police. I won't tell you more, other than to say the children in the film, children brought up in a world of privilege and harmony, cannot begin to believe why anybody should be beaten or even lynched or shot because they have a different skin color
0: yeah the uh, stuff about the uh, racism to produce I mean it's all based apparently on one specific episode that the makers of the film um, heard about so while well, there were some critics who sort of criticized this for being sort of, you know, trying to be too modern, it, it, the attitude of both the British and indeed the American military towards the black soldiers was markedly different. Um, but look, I mean, you were talking about as a child not liking the railway children as much as you do as an adult. So how did this uh, well, strike you I'd both like as to... an adult and, and what do you think children would make of
1: it? Well, there are also references to the suffragette movement and at times the film Feels like it's suffragettes
0: in 1944.
1: Well, okay, (laughs) yep. Well, yeah, there are references all the way through to Mm. equality, and at times the film feels like it's just busting out all over to be in the next century before the Mm. overturning of Roe versus Wade. That is, but there is a problem. The director Morgan Matthews seems intent on bringing a modernity to the film with the use of fast cutting and handheld camera work, both of which completely works against the material. I thought. Is this early Martin Scorsese? And the print that I saw at my local cinema was so dark that the nighttime sequences were virtually impossible to actually decipher anything. Ultimately, though, I think Danny Brocklehurst's script, along with its use of such time-specific expressions like hell's bells and shut your cakehole and cheeky chops, uh, his script and the story are so strong that it resists its technical shortcomings. And ends up being a wonderfully moving and relevant film. This was a case where I thought the screenplay was so much better than the presentation, than the direction. The sad fact is that war is still with us, as is racism. I just hope that some children will enjoy the film half as much as Minions, The Rise of Groove.
0: Mind a start of £365,000 for a weekend. It's not, doesn't necessarily bode incredibly well.
1: James, we better
0: take a brief breather there. I think, give you a moment to recover.
1: Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.
0: This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film on Share Radio. When I'm talking to James Cameron Wilson, we've got down to number uh, six in the shop: the railway children return.
1: Which uh, the grown-ups will love. Super. Number seven. The Grown-Ups Will Like Lease, Less, Lightyear, which was at number six, down 30%. A disappointing film from Pixar, continuation of Mm. Toy Story, with a total of 9.3 million, which is not great for Pixar. Number eight, we've got The Black Phone, a sinister little thriller starring Ethan Hawke, directed Mm. by Scott Derrickson, down 28%, which when you think Thor, Love and Thunder went down by 67% is not bad at all, with a total of 3.6 million. Now, last week, I did talk about a film called London Nahi Jwanga, which is a very, very long romantic drama from Pakistan. That is now at number nine. And we have a new film at number 10, Kaduva, which is a very, very long action thriller from India. But there is a film at number 16, which I have seen. Mm -hmm. amazingly, and it's a foreign language film. Now, Simon, if they were to make a movie biopic of Anthony Quinn, there is only one actor around today who could play him, Javier Bardem. Besides his dark Latino looks and physical heft, he has that same larger-than-life presence. And like Quinn, he is used to playing a number of different nationalities. Mm -hmm. We last saw him on screen, albeit the small screen, as the Cuban actor and band leader, Desi Arnaz, in Aaron Sorkin's Being the Ricardos, for which he was nominated for an Oscar. Of course, he already has an Oscar, which he won for No Country for Old Men. And he remains the only Spanish actor to have one, unless you count his wife as an actor, Hmm. Penelope Cruz, who won hers for Vicky Cristina Barcelona. In fact... They are the only showbiz couple who both have an Oscar each, besides Ooh. Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones. There's a pub quiz question for yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Are th- among living ones? Are there any, are there any uh, ones uh, uh, who aren't uh, with uh, us Certainly now? among living ones. Name me a couple, I'd marry a I'm wondering Spencer Tracy and Catherine
1: Hepburn were not a public couple, but they, were they not. both
0: won Oscars, didn't they? Yeah,
1: anyway. They're not with us anymore. No, well, that's true. Yes. Anyway, be that as it may. What's the the film? uh, Well, yeah. (laughs) Javier Bardem's new film is called The Good Boss, showing in select cinemas and on the Curzon Home Cinema platform. And it's Spanish. He plays the CEO of of a large company that has cornered the market in the production of industrial scales with the motto hard work, balance, loyalty. He treats his employees like family, but there are compromises to be made, and sometimes he has to make an offer they can't refuse. Because of Bardem's innate charisma, I was rather drawn to his character, Julio Blanco, and felt he deserved his luxurious home and loving wife. He goes out of his way to help the son of a loyal employee, even though the son in question is obviously up to no good. Mm. Um. Essentially, The Good Boss is a corporate satire, and Blanco is juggling too many balls for his own good, and shortcuts have to be made and staff members laid off. I think the film's director, Fernando León de Aronaya, was positing Blanco as an anti-hero. And maybe I am too empathetic a viewer to see the bad in somebody who was doing his level best to keep his company and its reputation afloat. But when one superannuated employee takes up position opposite the factory on public land to voice his objections on a megaphone to his treatment, I felt he was pushing his luck too far. Of course, we know that Blanco is going to snap and there is so much going on and his flirtation with a beautiful new intern may be inappropriate. But I felt I understood his pain. To be honest, it's a rather frivolous diversion, but Bardem's presence makes it makes it never less than watchable. And it's always good to see him on home turf, although f- the film's record-breaking haul of 20 Gaia nominations, the Spanish Oscars, wow, was- seemed extraordinary <laughs> to me. 20! No other Spanish film has won 20 nominations. In the That's end, it actually won Gaia's for best film best director, best actor, best screenplay, best music, and best editing. And as I say, you can see it now on the Cousin Home Cinema. And, and you said in some cinemas as well? And and select art house cinemas. Okay. And that's a good boss. So you, you
0: mentioned Anthony Quinn just because you thought he resembled him. Not be, I was expecting this to be a
1: film about him. About no, Quinn. no, I was, I was just thinking, watching him. Every time I watch him, I think if there is oh. a biopic of Anthony Quinn. Right. Yes, he yes. would be ideal cast. Yes, yes, yes. But I, I hope I've got time to mention the big Netflix film of the week. Yes, of course. Considering the industry generated by the pen of Jane Austen, it is perhaps surprising to remind ourselves that she only saw four of her novels published in her lifetime. Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, Mansfield Park and Emma. By comparison, The word count of her literary compatriots, William Shakespeare, Charles Dickens, and Agatha Christie, was abnormal. However, two of Austen's novels, Northanger Abbey and Persuasion, were published posthumously, while another unfinished work, Sanderton, was recently turned into a TV series. Well, Mm. two series, actually. But anyway, um, last year it was announced that Searchlight Pictures was producing an adaptation of persuasion, starring Sarah Snook and Joel Fry, but when Netflix announced that they were also working on a version, Searchlight pulled the plug. And following on the coattails of Netflix, Bridgerton, there seemed to be an insatiable appetite for love in corsets and bonnets. However, not all critics was persuaded by the new Netflix adaptation, but I think much has to do with one's expectations. I've talked to a number of my friends who have seen it and really enjoyed it. It's -hmm. it's not a slavishly loyal edition of the 1817 novel, but then it's not aimed at academics or students of English literature. Mm -hmm. It is designed to entertain, which I thought it did remarkably well. Of all Austen's novels, it's probably the one I know the least but it's a cracking good yarn, as in as is any story in which two empathetic characters are unable to express their deep-seated love for each other because of the constraints of the time in which they live. This particular production, co-written by Ron Bass, who won an Oscar for his screenplay to Rain Man, certainly captures the spirit of Jane Austen and the period in which it is set w- with a nod to the self-knowing, postmodernism of mm. Fleabag and its ilk. Id Est, Anne Elliot played here with Serene Irony by Dakota Johnson, with a faultless English accent, dismantles the fourth wall by speaking directly to camera, a cinematic device that was used long before Fleabag in such classic films as you know as Alfie, Annie Hall, Shirley Valentine, High Fidelity, Ingmar Bergman-Saraband et Mm. al. The main thing is persuasion looks sumptuous. It is very funny and ultimately very affecting. Sure, Jane Austen never described Anne Elliot's sister, Mary, as a total narcissist, nor was the gallant sailor, Frederick Wentworth, accused of farting around inland. Um, It's been adapted for a modern largely teenage audience and as that it works sublimely and has more than its share of great lines in keeping with the parlance of the time. Um, I can just imagine a character in Jane Austen's universe saying something like it's not a picnic without macaroons (laughs) and may I just mention very quickly wonderful performance from Richard E Grant and Mia McKenna Bruce and Mia Towell, two very fresh faces who are obviously going to go places.
0: James, thank
1: you very much. Indeed, that's it for the Business of Film for
0: this week, but we'll
1: be back with more
0: at the same time next week. The greatest trick
1: the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley.